sisters and friends. This is Silver Star, 1982. Our first period class taught by our brother John McConville of the Reseda, California Ecclesia. His general subject is the second epistle of Peter. And the title of his class today is Peter's Plea. Brother John, please. We've listened to Peter, haven't we? Telling us about the attributes of God. What we should do with them. And we've listened to Peter as he admonishes us to diligently, diligently with zeal and with fervor and with speed work out our salvation, make our calling and our election sure. And we've listened to Peter as he gave us an eyewitness account of the things that he had seen, of the future glory that was to be established upon the earth in his Lord and Master as a magistrate. And we've listened to him as he's told us that we should listen to the sure word of prophecy that has been left for us in the pages of the scriptures. Then we've listened to him as he's deliberately gone to those scriptures and he's pulled out one thing after another to give us information given us an example of how we should use the scriptures to develop our attitudes and our desires. And he's told us about very terrible things. He's made us cringe. He's made us tremble. He's made us really not want to consider some of these things because they hit so close to home. And he looks right into the depths of us. Because that's the way the Word of God is. It divides right in the heart of us. It divides our feelings, our motives. It exposes them. And if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize how far down we descend on occasion. And yet with all of that destruction that he shows. He shows the deliverance that is available to us. And we've, even in our fear, in our humility, we're able to look up with joy and, and look forward to the day when we will never have fear again. With that perfect love filling us as we're one with the Father. And how we thrill this morning as we listen to Jeremiah. Bring forth a message of hope and we feel like Jeremiah, don't we? Living in the last days, talking to a generation that you cannot pray for. Because God's doom is upon this generation. The cup of iniquity has been filled in this generation. We can just try to put forth the message as Jeremiah did that one or two may grab onto his skirts and walk with him even though he's thrown into a dungeon. And he was able to endure those things and because he filled himself and he couldn't hold it back even if he wanted to. And we too, looking forward to the joy that's just in front of us when Judah will be restored, when Jerusalem will be a joy in the earth. And even though we see 
in our day. God's chosen people, walking in their hard-heartedness and stiff-neckedness, walking in, in a way that is just flesh, throwing out their chest and lifting up their arms in triumph and daring anybody to touch them, never realizing that it is God who is working in the kingdoms of men. And so they establish one more kingdom of men, but it's not under their own power, and we know it. We know the mighty host from the north is going to come down and level them one more time as an instrument in the hand of our Heavenly Father. We know that. And we're looking forward to that day, not because we want two-thirds of them to perish. That's not the idea. But we know, don't we, from the sure word of prophecy that until that day happens, we have no chance of being with our Lord. We have no chance of escaping from the corruption that is all around us. Oh, it's going to get much worse. Cheer up. Enjoy today. Tomorrow's going to be worse. And in the future, it's going to get better again. So we continue with Peter as, as he's been talking to us in this second chapter. And he's told us about all of these bad things. And we come down to verse 20. We had talked yesterday as Peter enlighten us about the liberty that was no liberty. It was enslavement by the things of the flesh. Then he shows us that these words apply to us as well as to the world around us, but not even as much to them, but to us. For he says, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, the world out there has never escaped the pollutions. They have wallowed in it and stayed in it, enjoyed it, done whatever they could in it. They have never escaped from it. But this says, if after they have escaped the pollutions of that arrangement of things that they live in, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that's what he started out with in the very beginning, that it was through the knowledge, this full knowledge of God that salvation comes, that escape allows us to get out from underneath all of this burden that is laid upon us. So if they've escaped through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we have done, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse from, with them than the beginning. And so, we now have to consider this, don't we? For we have escaped through that knowledge. And we get that fundamental understanding of what is right and what is wrong and what is required of us. And we responded to it. And we have stepped into a new existence of things up out of the mire. Would we dare be entangled again? Look at Second Timothy. Second chapter, as Paul also warns about this. Second Timothy 2, verse 4. Well, let's read verse 3. He wants 
Timothy to teach others also. What does he want him to teach? Third verse. Thou therefore, 2 Timothy 2 and 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as of a soldier of Jesus Christ. That's the same word as suffer in the ninth verse, wherein I suffer trouble. Endure hardness. When you're called to be, I used to have a, well I don't, <laughs> let me start over again. I have a, what do I have? He's my wife's brother, a brother-in-law. I have a brother-in-law. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Happens when you're old. I have a brother-in-law who was a master sergeant in the Marines. And they deliberately, they deliberately took young men fresh out of the homes of people where they had softness and goodness bestowed upon them, where they were catered to. And they deliberately broke their will. They deliberately, and it's shocking, forced these people to refuse to think. They just made them a creature who would respond to the word that was issued forth by anybody above them. These people had no choice to walk around on their own. You come in with beautiful hair, shave it off. Oh, you like nice fitting clothes, you take these. Oh, you like to walk in nice, clean areas? Let's go walking through this swamp. It was, they deliberately punished these fellows. Some fellow just forgot to say, sir. And he walked for hours and hours and hours just because. Not that they wanted to show power and authority, but just because they had to know that when this fellow on their right-hand side of them was going into war and into battle, that when they shouted something, they could rely upon this fellow so that he would do what they expected, and they wouldn't turn there, and he was gone, and they'd lose their life. It was a matter of survival. And this was his job. The hardness, it says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now our Lord and Master doesn't call us to a, a bed of roses, to our happiness now. We have a joy, yes, it's deep-seated because we know that no matter what we endure now, it's just for a moment. It is just to help us survive in this day in our warfare with what is going on around us. We've got an enemy that's terrific. We're in their territory. We have to fight on their terms. We have to know that this is the enemy and what to do about it. And when the word of God comes to us, we have to respond to it on a moment's notice. I suppose you're aware. Maybe I've told you this. Maybe someone else has. A brother in, in the middle of, uh, of an evening, in the middle of the war, he opens the door after a knock. There's someone looking up at him, strapping young man. And says to him, what would you do if I punched you right in the mouth? Never seen this fellow before. And he felt like saying, I'll throw you right down the stairs. But something stopped him. It was the ingrained word that he had been putting into his heart, into his mind, day after day. And he, he stopped and he said, well, the scriptures say, 
turned the other cheek. And the fellow reached in his pocket and pulled out an identification and said, I'm from the FBI. I want to talk to you. That brother helped many a young brother just because he had the word of God stamped on his mind. He helped many a young brother. But suppose he had not developed himself and listened to the word and was ready to respond and on a moment's notice could recall, could call to mind those things that he should respond to. We don't know, brethren and sisters, what our Lord expects of us on a moment's notice. We don't know how many trials we've got to go through. We just know that when we're ready to be used, he'll use us for his glory and his honor. And we want to be able to respond to that kind of a calling. And we don't care what it takes. If we have to go to prison, we go to prison. If we have to go without food, we go without food. If we have to live in a hovel, we live in a hovel. What difference does it make? It's our God who is providing for us. He is the general that tells us where to go. He's the head of state. Our king is leading us. And he says in that next verse, the second chapter of 2 Timothy, the fourth verse, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Are we busy making a name for ourselves now? What do you think would happen to a soldier if on the side he tried to get involved in politics or he tried to get involved in, in making a, a fortune for himself on the side? His mind would be so filled with his other endeavors that he couldn't concentrate on the task that is put before him. And that's what they do in a natural army. Take everything out of his mind and just gear him for one thing. That's what we do in a spiritual army. We gear our minds for just one purpose in life, just one endeavor, and we don't become entangled in the affairs of this life. Oh, you say, but I've got to eat. Well, sure you do. And doesn't your father know that? Hasn't he told you in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that he'll take care of that? He says, you seek the kingdom. You uphold me right now. You develop your heart and your mind so that it reflects my word. I'll take care of the rest. You don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life, but that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. There's no one in this room who has not been chosen to be a soldier. No one. Now, you know, we tell our young people, you can't even become a non-combatant, right? That's what we tell them. You can't just be one of those who sits in the office and does uh, this paperwork or sends out food or whatever, because we know that the whole army or navy or marines or whatever they are, are geared as a body. And that that cutting edge of the sword cannot perform itself without all of the other parts of the sword. We know that that whole body is geared for one thing. It's together that it can cut the enemy. It takes five behind one to pull a trigger and destroy someone. And that's the way it is in the truth. No man walks alone. Oh, we put a brother on the platform, we appoint him, and we say, now we want you 
tomorrow night to give a lecture and talk. For whom? For God, for our general, for our leader, for our king, Jesus Christ. But that brother is just a mouthpiece and the body has to be behind it, filling up the chairs, bringing in an audience, supplying all the, the things that are required. There is no one exempt from preaching the word of God and there is no task that is unimportant. That person who stands at the table with the literature on, he knows what's in there and he knows what he can give to people and he encourages people to take it. That person who just gets the correspondence course and, and has a names and writes out an envelope and sends it, that's as important as any other part. We are in a warfare. But we can't do those things if we're just too busy about the affairs of this life. If we're so full of sending letters out to other people for other causes, if we're so busy making a living that we cannot get down to the making a living. The age to come. That we know what the weapons of our warfare are. That we know how to handle them. That spirit of life which can cut us if we don't know how to use it. And so Peter, along with Paul, along with all of the writers of the word of God, encourage us that once we've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we should not be again entangled therein and overcome because the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. If that young man does not respond to the command in the heat of battle, he dies. And so with us. If we do not respond in the heat of our battle today, we die. It's just that simple. It's put there for us. It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness then after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Examine ourselves, brethren. Sisters, look at your life. Young people, as you start out, look to your Lord and Master and see where he's going and where he wants you to go. Because it's better not to have known the way of righteousness and to turn from the holy commandment. That's all of it. Don't pick and choose. Take it all to yourself. We need this whole life, this whole balance of the word of God. And so we don't just skip over parts. Even though sometimes we would like to, even in Peter's advice. But it says in the 22nd verse, it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit. Does that make you sick to think about? You know what a dog is in the scriptures? 
We heard of her this morning, didn't we? For even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the table. We were Gentiles at one time. And the children were fed first, the children of the kingdom, the Jews. But then we've been served the repast, not just crumbs. We've been given this whole diet of wonderful, healthful food. It's been ladled out to us by our God. He has brought us to a feast of fat things that we can take to ourselves, not just crumbs. things that came out of our mouth prior to learning the word of God was as vomit. Proverbs 26. This is the proverb. The 11th verse. In fact, the whole way of life, the instruction for living truth is in Proverbs 26 and 11. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. And we had looked at yesterday, flesh is folly. We shouldn't do it, brethren and sisters. The plea comes forth from Peter to show us what it is. A dog is turned to his vomit. Matthew, the seventh chapter. Verse six. And it says, Jesus says, Give not that which is holy unto the dog, Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. And so what Peter was saying was really nothing new, was it? What Peter was doing was repeating that word that was made flesh and was brought forth. And so here we find it. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. And we as Gentiles have been called and elevated out of that kind of a living and are now given that which is holy. We don't just pour out the meal of God before those who have no appreciation for it. We do not do that, says Christ. And then he says, and don't cast your pearls before swine. But did you notice that in Second Peter, he's talking about those who have returned. that those in the household? Is he talking about those without and those within in this verse, in verse 6? Swine that trample underfoot the blood of Christ, who once they've covered themselves with that blood and now turn again and walk all over it, who have no concern for the sacrifice that was laid down for them? Because as we get back into Peter. He's talking about those who have known and now are turning back. The sow that was washed, the swine that was washed, to her wallowing in the mire. 
and it bears down upon us that we should not be like that sow or that swine, that unclean animal who only wants to be unclean. And he stays in the mire. No, no, somebody lifted him out. His Lord and Master lifted him out of that mire and washed him clean and pure and he sets him down that he might, but like an unclean animal with no thought, no understanding, he rushes back to the mud hole and immerses himself in it, entangled again with the cares of this life. Oh, my dear brethren and sisters, can we listen to the plea of Peter? For our benefit, it's that we might survive the 22nd chapter of Revelation. At verse 15, at the last time, the 14th verse. They that have a right to the tree of life, that they may enter into the gates of the city. For without that city, the city of our God, that perfect cube which cometh out of heaven to the earth, that city, without that city, outside of that city limits, are dogs. Gentiles. People who have refused to become Israelites indeed. Outside are those who have no regard for the word of God. Sorcerers conjure things up out of their minds. Whoremongers who revel in the flesh. Murderers who have no regard for life or anything else of any value. Idolaters, those who covet everything around them who will bow down to anything that will give them satisfaction. And whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. We don't want to be without. We want to be gathered within. We want to be part of that holy city, the bride that cometh down, that is given to the bridegroom. And Jesus, in his very last words, tells us the same thing that he's told to Paul, who relates it to us. He told it to Peter, who relates it to us. It's that same word. It's always there, encouraging, pushing, lifting up, weighing down the alternatives as they let us know that sin is a heavy burden to be borne. But Peter true apostle sent from God and full of love says this second epistle beloved that's that that's that agape again isn't it full of love beloved I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds. That's what it's for. It's really not to make us unhappy. It's not really to cast us down. It's to stir up our pure minds. And if we find anything in that pure mind that is un or impure, let's remove it. Let's cover it over. Let's, let's get rid of it. Let's destroy it. 
and keep our minds stirred up with the purity of the word of God so that nothing else will be within us. I write this unto you that I might stir up your pure minds. That's what he said right at the beginning. You remember it in the 13th verse? Yea, I think it meet the first chapter as long as I'm in this tabernacle, in this body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And this is the repeat that he gives to us over and over again. It's why Jeremiah talked to his people day in and day out. Do what God wants, you'll survive. Oh, we build houses now, but not for our glory, that we might raise up unto God something of worth in this life, to give to him in that life. Sure, we recognize that Babylon is again going to overrun the earth and destroy everything. Israel, our beloved nation, because it is the beloved Son of God, is going to be destroyed, but they're going to be lifted up one day. Stir up your pure minds in remembrance. That's what I want to do, says Peter. And that's what we should do for one another. Shore up the weak knees that ye might be mindful of the words, the utterances of, of Almighty God, which were spoken before by the holy prophets. The holy prophets, the separated mouthpieces of God, putting forth his word, speaking of the future, but encouraging right now things to do, and of the commandment of us, the apostles. And that's what we've got. There it is. The prophets of old and the apostles' words. He says that you might listen to those words, be mindful of it. Remember all that's been spoken to you. I can do no more for you. And why is that? Because I can't enter, enter into your mind, and you can't enter into mine. It's only the word, the ideas, the plan, the purpose that can get in there. And you'll either have a great purpose in life and accomplish it and make lots of money, or may a big failure, or you'll get into you the word of God and never fail. Because it doesn't matter if somebody cuts out the, the rug from underneath you. It doesn't matter. All they can do is, in the utmost, destroy us. For what? For a moment. It's easy to die for Christ, brothers and sisters, but our job is to live for him. as a good soldier, not entangling ourselves now, but letting the words of the prophets and the words of the apostles of the Lord and Savior enter into us. And know this verse, he says, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Scoffers walking after their own lust. Have you heard them? Have you? Well, don't be surprised. It, it shouldn't upset you. You've been told ahead of time that's going to happen. In fact, if it doesn't happen, we best look at what we're putting forth to the world. If people don't scoff at you, you are probably talking about things that are pleasing their ears. We're in an environment that has not got any compatibility with the Word of God. 
If they think you're a nice fellow, jolly fellow, well met, throw their arm around your shoulder and want to walk with you day in and day out, beware, you're not home. You're in a foreign country. You're in a land that has a different set of principles, a different a way of life. And we don't fit in there. And if they cannot understand the word of God, it's because they are of a different language. And they scoff. Do we expect to have large numbers? Never. Not in this life. Thank God there are scoffers. It tells us it's the last days. We're living in the last days and there's going to be scoffers. They walk after their own lusts. Thank God for that. Not because you want them to scoff. Not because you wouldn't give your eyes if you could help them. Not because you wouldn't lay down your life to bring them along the path of salvation. But because that's exactly what we were told is going to happen. That's the joy. That's the encouragement. That scoffers mean nothing to us but proof that the word of God is still alive and well. Yeah, the devil is alive and well too. But we know it. And we attack him every day in our own body, don't we? So much so that people say, what on earth are you doing? You're destroying any hope you have for happiness. My poor brother in the flesh. He's afraid to die, you know. We got all the brains in our house. But not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty. He could retire at 49. <laughs> Didn't do his family one bit of good, but perishing. He runs around the block every morning, every night. He eats the right food. He exercises. He doesn't want to die. 65, and he knows he's only got a few years left. And so you, you go to your brother, those who you really want to help because you've got an in like no one else. And you say, well, Dan, why don't you do something about it? You know that there's a way that you can have life eternal. He says, oh, yeah, but I've got to live like you. I didn't know I was unhappy. Brethren and sisters, bow to the will of God. The hundredfold that is bestowed upon you now is even worth it if you don't get in the kingdom. But that's only a drop in the bucket. That's, that's only a foretaste. That's an earnest of that which is to come. When we can go to people of Think like my brother and say, look, our Lord is in the earth. I can show him to you. The power has returned that the kingdom of God is reestablished. This is the way, walk ye in it. And in that day, everyone will know God. Everyone. And you won't have the discouragement 
and the disappointments of those who you love turn away. Because there will just be one way. There will just be that one religion. Live like me? Well, I would you were much better than that. But just to try, just to try is a joy in itself. And the mothers and the sisters and brothers and children that I've received in hundredfold is well worth the effort. Well worth it right now. There will come scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, well, where is the promise of his coming? Well, you can tell them it's right here. It's been laying there for centuries for people just to listen to. It's right here. But where is his coming? All things continue as they were of old. All things continue as they are. Is that right? Oh, there's always been sin in the world, hasn't there? Always. There's always been immorality. All things are just the way they've always been. Wickedness, rap. No. Things are not just the same as they were. There has never been a time in the history of the world that we're facing today. Never. There has never been a time when all of the corruption and the sin that we have flagrantly displayed about us is in existence at the same time that all of the signs of the times of the return of Jesus Christ are, are available and doing well. The famines that's in the earth, the pestilence that's running around, the immorality, yes, and the wars in, in diverse places, earthquakes. Maybe you don't know about them like we have, but you must read those over in the Middle East where thousands of people are killed. All of those signs, men running to and fro, knowledge increased. How many more do we have to have? But at the same time, we find Israel, that fig tree blossoming in the Middle East. Never before has that been. We're living in a unique period of history. We're living at the time just before the return of our Lord. And at the same time that Israel is there, there's the juggernaut of the north poised to come down. Poor little Sheba's and Deban trying to stem the tide with no hope. Have you come down here to take the spoil? They said that in Afghanistan, didn't they? Oh, we're going to punish you. We aren't going to play with you in the games. You go play the Olympics alone. We're living in our last days. Every sign, every prophecy that talks about the coming of Christ is laid out in front of us. Dare we not use every moment of our time to get us ready to meet our Lord. Prepare to meet thy God. This is the day of salvation. We may not have tomorrow. And that's Peter's message. Where is the promise of his coming? You can look anywhere you want and you'll see the promise of Christ coming. The problem is you have to know the word of God. Where is he? Well, Isaiah, the fifth chapter. 
Don't be discouraged by the ignorance around us. Don't. There has always been ignorance. In the 19th verse of the 5th chapter of Isaiah, they said, Well, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. Are you preaching truth? i got to see it to believe it. World, flesh, you're going to see it. And you may not be alive to believe it. Always been scoffers. Jeremiah faced it in the 17th chapter, 15th verse. And he says, Behold, they say unto me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. And the word of the Lord came and they rejected him. They won't reject him this time. Oh, they'll fight against him, yes, but... The world is going to accept Jesus Christ now because he's coming with a rod. He's coming as a lion of the tribe of Judah, not as a lamb, meek for the slaughter, not as one who is going to be despised and rejected of men. He's coming as one who says, either you bow down, either you kiss the sun, or you're outside of life. Let it come. Where is the word of the Lord? It's the same story. Matthew 24. Verse Better go back to verse 46. Blessed is that servant, that slave, that bond slave, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing, that is, working for his Lord. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and there is that word again, but, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, my Lord does not delay his coming. My Lord in his long suffering is waiting that I might be ready to meet him. My Lord is waiting in his long suffering to bring in the last one into the ark of safety before the flood of destruction is rolled out upon the earth again. But this time in the form of fire as we'll talk about. What's in our hearts, brethren and sisters? What's in our hearts? Our Lord delays? No. We are right on schedule. Oh, I know. I've looked for the coming of Christ every year for 20 years. Each year I think that's it. But each year it keeps me on my toes in expectancy, looking up. I can't look much longer. Time is running out. Even if Christ didn't come, I'm getting older. My driving's getting worse. 
Time is running out. Our Lord is about to come. We've, we've seen these signs. When I graduated from school, I thought, well, Christ has come. What college got to offer me? But Israel wasn't even a nation, and they are now. They are now. What's in our hearts, brethren? The Lord delays his coming, and he shall begin to smite his fellow servants, his own brothers and sisters who have joined in the race as well. It's all right if you're smitten by them. That's all right. You know, Jesus' brothers hit him. They spit upon him. They beat him. They did everything. Mocked him. That's all right if they do it to us. But we would never do it to our brother, would we? In this last day, just before our master comes, smite his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunken. The day of the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrite. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you picture yourself standing at the judgment seat and all of us going in and you watching? Oh, Ed, you wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want that. After I've preached to others that I myself should be a castaway, our salvation is not once saved, always saved. Our salvation is in a living word of God that we immerse ourselves in and that we live within and it lives within us. That's our salvation and we should never walk away from that. We should be so conversant with what the day offers for us today that nothing can shake our faith. I don't expect to be here when Russia comes down. I expect to be with my Lord. Would I be upset? Would I be distraught if Russia starts moving down today and I'm still here? No. It just means that my understanding was a bit befuddled. And when has that not been? But the point is, brothers and sisters, the word of God is truth. The word of God doesn't vary. It doesn't change. And it can't be disrupted. His plan is working out. Think positive about the coming of the Lord and live your life as though it's the last thing you're going to do. Don't worry about tomorrow. Turn on for today. Let the word lift you up and stir you. Because if you get run down, get someplace where you get lifted up again. And where is that? Back in the book. Now we go to an ecclesia when we leave here, don't we? It doesn't matter what the ecclesia is. It doesn't matter how many members are in the ecclesia. It doesn't matter how virile the ecclesia is. But if Jesus Christ came to the household of God, he was like a green shoot in a dry place. Did he give up? Did he just walk away from them? No, he took the word. And he walked through the land and he put it forth. And he took the power of God and he performed the miracles in his life to show the people that he was that which should come, the Messiah. And crowds followed him to begin with, but then when it got a little tough, they walked away. Now we're going back to our ecclesia. We can either allow Peter 
to go with us with the stimulation that he can give us and put forth that word. Not abusing our fellow servants, but encouraging, trying to hold them up. Never once surrendering to false doctrine. Never once going back to wallowing in the mire. Never once surrendering a principle of God, but holding it high, regardless of what is laid upon you. Or we can go back to our ecclesia and say to our brothers and sisters, oh, you should have been there. And then go about our life. Same old thing. Entangling ourselves with the affairs of this thing. Allowing the cares of this life to choke out that which stimulates us. Where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That is not true. The household of God now should let the light shine forth like it's never let it shine before. It's the last opportunity we've got to turn on our batteries. This is our last opportunity. Peter says, I'm about to go, but you're about to stay can I encourage you? Can I plead with you? He says, because the world and some fellow servants are willingly ignorant. Of their own free will, they're just ignorant. What does that mean? Willingly ignorant of the sure word of prophecy. They're willingly ignorant. Oh, well, you don't have to do readings every day. You don't have... Look at all the study in the world isn't going to get you in the kingdom. Have you heard that? Listen, it's tiring. I, I go, you know, I work hard all day. I go to bed, I'm going to do my readings. I, I sit down with a book and I fall right asleep. <laughs> I'm not a bit surprised. You try putting in 12 hours of anything and then sit in a bed, a nice comfortable bed with the lights beaming on your head and making you nice and warm and comfortable with the electric blanket turned on. I'm pretty sure you'd go to sleep. I'm not a bit surprised. But if the word of God is important, if your life means something, that sure word of prophecy can stimulate you for a day. If you can't do it at evening, do it in the morning. Get up early. Before you have to go out with your 12 hours, let the work suffer. Don't let the word suffer. Because what actually happens is you suffer. This is the person you're killing. This is the one you're doing an unkindness to. Let Peter plead with you. Don't be willingly ignorant. Oh, I know we're ignorant. That's why we ask Perse all these questions. But ask them. But you can't even ask questions if you don't know what to ask, if you don't read the book and try and find out. But we take the word and we, we look at it, we try and devise in our hearts and in our minds what's being put forth. And we can't get an answer. We go to this brother, we go to that brother, and that sister. You know, sisters have a wealth of knowledge. We've got many a Deborah in our midst. We should utilize them, find out Call from them all of the information we can get and put it into our life. Our sisters know how to serve. 
because there's their lot in life. And we brethren can do well to watch our sisters as in their niche that's been given by God. They proceed to inquire and give, expecting nothing back. That's all of us as the bride of Jesus Christ. We just give and give of ourselves. But what are we giving if we spend all our time with the cares of this life? Don't be willingly ignorant. That book is there for our benefit. Suck it dry. Make it your livelihood. Drink deep of the word of God. They're willingly ignorant of the world and some of our own. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Well, you know, I'm not sure creation took place in six days. Don't be willingly ignorant. Read the book. You don't like to read the law, but in the law, there's a conviction that shows you that the world was created in six days. But you can be willingly ignorant if you want. But it's your life. By the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water in the world, whereby the world that then was. That dispensation of things being overflowed with water perished. Willingly ignorant, brethren, do you want to perish? Can't you raise children and, and know the word of God? You can't raise children if you don't know the word of God. There's so many counselors around that tell us how to do things. Even to tie our shoes. They tell us all of the things, and they tell us wrong. The world that then was, when was, before Noah's time, he'd already talked about it. The world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, Peter's day, that world was about to be inundated. It was about to be fired out. It was about to be destroyed. And the heavens and the earth, which are now, what's going to happen to them? This arrangement of things, where's it going to go? It's reserved. <laughs> By the same word, are kept, reserved, guarded. <laughs> this world is guarded by God. It is reserved for something. What? Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. That's the Logos, the same Logos that brought into existence this whole creation that allowed men to live as they would want to live has reserved our world, which hopefully we've renounced, condemned like Noah did, in building an ark, in calling forth any animal that will come with us into the ark, 
securing our family that we might work on that ark until we're told to get into it. Enter into thy chambers until the tribulation be passed. That same blood, that same water that destroyed the world, prepared and reserved by the Logos, the mind of God, has kept this world to the day of fire. Is he delaying? Well, tomorrow we'll find out why. But there is nothing but judgment, justice, and perdition of ungodly men. Don't. I plead with you as Peter pleads with all of us. Don't be willingly ignorant of the word of God. Your life depends upon it. Thank you, Brother John. We'll